Tonight, my guest tonight is a race car driver. Race cars spell the same forwards and backwards. Does she put it in R for race? And then, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck, woodchuck, woodchuck, wood? Four cores. And later, more stories from Silicon Valley from adjacent to greatness. Who will Steve Jobs yell at this time? There's no stopping us now, because we're live. I'm John Thompson. I'm Jim Tu. I'm John A. Vink. I'm Jennifer Sim. I'm A.J. Minnick. I'm Keith Statenfield. Those stories and more tonight on John Wants Answers. John Wants Answers. John Wants Answers. Give John Answers. John Answers. John Wants Answers. Give John Answers now. Check your calendar. If it says March 14th, 2019, then we're live. My guest tonight is Nicole Jacquet. Ah, oh, Jacques. 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 Yeah, there you go. All right. Thanks for being on the show. Nicole is a race car driver. So we're going to hear all about that. We'll be taking your tweets. You could tweet Nicole and I at John Wants Answer. There's no S on the end because S is for suck. If you don't want to tweet us, you can go to the website and send us a message at johnwantsanswers.com. There's a contact tab. Press it and write us a message. All right, let's get straight to the show about race cars. We have a video of you racing a car. Let's see the first video to see what we're looking at here. So that was you racing, right? Yeah, that in was your me car. racing, yes. So that's just not some guy in a car on 101 trying to... It's not a guy at all. Oh, it's a, it's a lady. <laughs> I love that video because, I don't know if you noticed it, but at the end there, when somebody hit me while I was in the middle of the turn, I, I give this like little yelp. Oh, you were hit? I was hit. Oh, I didn't you notice can't, that. Like, tell, like, I, I had control. But uh -huh. I like, when, I, when I felt the car start moving, I actually like, kind of like yelp in this. <laughs> and as somebody else that races told me, like, you know, you might want to like take the, the sound out of that. <laughs> But Do a little sound editing. Yeah, in the just remove that part. I think it's lovely. I'd leave it in if I were you. I'd make it louder. I'd turn into like a, maybe a, a bark from a dog. Woo. Or something like that. I'll keep that in mind for the next time. Okay. We have some pictures of your car. Let's see what your car looks like from the outside. Look at that. That looks like a car I would expect to see in NASCAR or Formula One or all those other things. That's a Mustang. It's a Mustang from the Ford Motor Company. Okay, let's see the next picture. And there you are again, you're number 27. Yes, all, so all of my cars, regardless of which one, when I, even when I've changed cars, I always keep the number 27, um, mostly because that way when somebody says like, hey, what's your number real quick, and it's really easy to remember that. Okay, uh, let's see the next picture we have. Are you in this one? This I is, am. You're in the front? So you see the, not the red car in the middle, the, uh -huh. the car to the left of it. Okay. That's me. You're coming straight for us. I am. <laughs> and it was, it was, I don't know if you can tell, but it's, it was raining, that was a really exciting race. Oh. It was wet. Okay, I can see the reflection of the lights off the pavement, mm -hmm. the asphalt. Uh, we have one more picture to show you. Look at that, you're in the pit. You're getting all fixed up. That's my crew, checking my car. Uh, they're checking tire pressure and stuff. Now, is this before a race or like during a race? This was coming in right after qualifying, so they're, they're okay. checking my tire pressures to make sure that everything was as expected, and then I decide whether or not I want to go back out and do a few more laps or my, my times are what I want them to be. So they're not in, the, in a race for the life right here? Not right here, no. Okay. Are your races long enough? You have to like do pit stops during the race? 
I usually do not do so. Races that are long enough that you have to do pit stops are what are called endurance races. Mm -hmm. The problem is the longer the race, the more expensive it is, and the more people that you need for pit crew. Uh -huh. um, so generally, I do what are called sprint races, which are short enough that you don't need to do that. Okay. Um, so what would you call the racing that you do? So it's road course racing, and specifically uh -huh. I race in SCCA in the majors level of racing. So it's sort of like the top level of amateur racing. Okay. So any day now, they're going to call the majors. Going to call you and bring you up from the farm team. It's, it doesn't quite work that way, but oh. but I, I I can dream. It could happen. Um, so to get to the the majors, do they call you or do you just give them money? That is a, a big part of it. Is the, a lot of racing, just in general, is you give somebody money, uh -huh. different people money, um, the people that work on your car, the people that, that you, that, uh, the series that you race in, you, you pay money to race. Uh -huh. um, mm. But you have to have completed at least a certain amount of racing so they know that you're not some bozo who's going to just come crash everybody out. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, so when I've, I don't really watch racing on TV, but I'm familiar with NASCAR, mm -hmm. where they do a lot of left-hand turns. Mm -hmm. And that's basically all they do. But when I saw the video here, you weren't doing that. No. So what kind of tracks do they call it where it's not just an oval? So road course racing, I mm -hmm. actually have oh. shaped like this. Are these I don't know if you can see it. This is, this is an actual map of, a, of, this is Laguna Seca, which is actually close here in Northern California. Laguna Seca? Yep, it's in Monterey. It's very famous, I've heard of it. Yes, yeah. um, and this is another California track. This is Thunder Hill. That looks very exciting. It's a it lot is. of turns. It's very exciting. Um, but so the idea is that you have uh, right turns, left turns. Some turns are very uh, tight. Some of them are long and sweeping. You've got hairpins. Uh, you may have elevation change. You don't always have mm -hmm. elevation change. But Laguna Seca, for example, you go up a very tall hill slash mountain um, from the top of which you can actually see the ocean. Ooh. Not that I'm actually looking. Did you <laughs> I did not actually know that you could see the ocean from there until uh -huh. somebody told me, even though I had driven it like a hundred times. Oh, okay. Because you're kind of busy thinking yeah. about something else. Yeah, like yeah. you're like, am I going like, to go to the right place die. and die? Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, so, but then you, you drop about two stories and you're turning at the same time. So it's very exciting. Is it a steep drop? It's, it's pretty steep, yeah. What kind of grade? Do you know? Um, I, don't, I don't know what the grade, but I mean, like, it's, it's, it's pretty steep. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, uh, a very, it would be a bit like San Francisco type hills. Okay. Like that Some kind of, of those hills freak me out. Yes, yeah. those kind of hills. All right. The kind of hills that you think maybe it should just do like the little S thing and snake back and forth and instead <laughs> it just goes straight down. One of those. One of those. Um, so like how many tracks do you regularly race on? Oh boy. Um, I usually make it to about four or five different tracks a year. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes a few more, um, but that's, that's, pretty sure that I'll get to about that many. And where are these tracks located? Do you, I mean, they're probably nationwide, but mm -hmm. the ones that you go on mostly. Um, so I actually race uh, across the country. I actually keep a car on the East Coast and one on the West Coast uh, because it's, it's very uh, expensive and time consuming to move a car for right. long distances. Uh -huh. um, so on the West Coast, I, uh, I race at Monterey Laguna Seca, mm -hmm. um, Button Willow, which is south kind of like on i5 I know uh, that is. thunder hill up north um sonoma raceway in like napa uh -huh. pacific raceways up by seattle um and then out east so like this year already i've already raced at homestead um, which is actually a nascar track but they mm -hmm. adapt it for road course so you do most of the oval and then you actually do a little track that comes inside so you actually do get to turn both right and left <laughs> nascar is still working on it okay um and 
Sebring, Watkins Glen, uh, New Jersey Motorsports, Mid-Ohio, VIR, um, all on the, the East Coast. Okay. For NASCAR, do they call it oval? Because it's not really an oval shape. It's it, it's, round, it's actually kind of a sort straight, of a round, straight. Yeah. Um, so they, they call it an oval. It is mm. not an actual oval. Okay. It's kind of like a sort of a, a triangle that's been kind of rounded off a lot of this, a oh. lot of times. What it looks like. Okay. Um, so in in your league, you're in the Sports Car Club America, right? Mm -hmm. So how? I understand how you win a race mm -hmm. by crossing the finish line first. Yes. And then the flag gets waved, this, right? This, this is the best part right if here. If they wave and you're the one crossing at the time, mm -hmm. you've won that race. Yes. But I guess winning overall the season, how does mm -hmm. that work? So it's points. So you mm -hmm. get a certain number of points for finishing first, second, third, and so on. Uh, and so whoever has the most points in a particular class at the end of the year wins. So what's the spread? Like, what would first place points get you? First point, first place is 21 points. Mm -hmm. uh, second place is, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, first place is 25, second is 21, third is 18, and then after that it's fourth is 17, uh, fifth is 16. So you, oh, you so do. Oh, you get points for being even beyond third. Yeah. Okay. But but the points are much closer together, whereas if you're right. between first and second, you, you get big, a lot yeah. more points. Um, there's also, at the end of the year, there's a big championship race, and um, for that, you have to uh, meet some, some criteria for like having done and you know, met certain performance levels in other races. And then you can race in the national, championship, national championships race, which is called the runoffs. But that's just a straight race. So you just put kind of all the top people out there, right. and whoever crosses the finish line first wins. Okay. Um, now, during the season, how many races do you do? <sighs> Not nearly as many as I would like. <laughs> Um, generally, I'd say probably about mm, six or seven races. Mm -hmm. um, there have been years where I've done a lot more, more like, you know, probably 15. Um, but usually that uh, is difficult both schedule-wise and financially. Right, right. Um, is there a maximum how many races you can do in a year? Uh, only limited by your, your wallet. Okay. But if you wanted to win, why would I just, like, just keep racing every weekend and I could get more points than someone who raced... Two ah. times. So no matter how many races you do, they will only take your top um, a certain number. It depends on by division and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you just like maybe your top eight races or your top okay. five races. Um, so if you race more more times, you have the option to. If you have some really bad races, mm -hmm. you can you can take your best set of, of races. If you race less than that or only mm -hmm. that many, well, you've got to go with the ones that you actually did. What if they take your top eight races mm -hmm. and that season you only raced six times? Um, then you're at a disadvantage to anybody that raced more than six times. Yeah, so you should, if you want to compete seriously, mm -hmm. yes. at least eight. Yep. Okay. Um, now, what kind of skills does someone need to have to be able to race well? Mm -hmm. um, so car control um, mm -hmm. is definitely a big one. Uh, and understanding of the physics of racing. Um, and there's a lot of things that you do when you're driving a race car that you would not want to do on the street. So when you're on, on the street driving, you don't want to come up to a stop sign at like a screeching stop um it, that's no. just a bad idea um but you think of like if you were attempting to brake really fast that's how you are applying the brake on the racetrack you don't actually come to a complete stop mm -hmm. but you're you're putting a lot of brake pressure on very quickly to slow the car down as quickly as possible and then get back to gas you want to spend as much time as possible on gas right. you would never drive like this on the street um <laughs> well shouldn't drive that well, you, okay street. shouldn't not 
Um, but so there's there's that, um, and then there's also just some techniques like heel toe, which is where we, when you're actually um, shifting, you want to actually match the revs. So you actually, as you are shifting, you are hitting both the brake and the accelerator pedal while you have the press the the uh, clutch depressed. Yeah, do you have do you have three legs? It's that's where that's where it gets very difficult. So you have one foot pressing down the clutch, mm -hmm. and you have one foot pushing on the brake pedal, and then you sort of slide it this way. So you have okay. one foot going this way and trying to push. It's hard. <laughs> it's really yes. it's really hard. I imagine. Okay. Wow. Um, how do you get around cars? Because I figure if I was in this race, mm -hmm. um, well, first there's qualifying rounds, right? Yep. And that identifies your pole position. Mm -hmm. So is it that the worst qualifying time gets the first place in pole position or? The last. Last. So the fastest person gets to start first. Oh, okay. And then so they then, line everybody up in pairs of two behind them. So if you're in first place, mm -hmm. you can just be swerving back and forth and no one can pass you. Not so much. So you are technically, now this is one of the things is that it's a little bit up to interpretation, right? Mm -hmm. But the rule is that you are not allowed to block. You're allowed one defensive move. But other than that, you have to stick to what you call, they call your racing line, which is basically mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't be suddenly changing positions because of the, the other car. Okay. Um, so you have to be driving essentially more the track. Now, what you can do is drive defensively so that, for example, generally you want somebody or somebody wants to pass you on the inside yeah. of a turn. If you bring your car a little more towards the center of the track or even mm -hmm. inside, they can't get inside of you. Right, right. Um, but... You can only do that once. If they, if you do that, and then they come back over here, you're not allowed you to move back. back. Yeah, now okay. people do, of course, and then there's lots of arguments afterwards about so and so blocked me. Uh -huh. um, sometimes the stewards will decide that's true. You got blocked. Uh, they penalize the other person, maybe a position or something like that. Okay. And sometimes they're just sort of like, oh, we can't really tell. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of like a lot of times it's not very clear cut. Um, but but generally no, you cannot just swerve back and forth. Okay. We have a video, another video of uh, of you racing. Okay. Okay, so this is actually not coming from my car. I am. So that we're coming to this turn here, so we have to slow down. Oh yeah. Oh, that person is fast. So first of all, the result of all of that is that right. this, this car, the car and the other car that came in out of control hit another car, which spun, which hit another car, which hit me. So okay. then I ended up finishing the race with my bumper dragging behind my car. Um, Does that affect your performance? So I don't think it actually affected the handling of uh -huh. the car. It did turn out that it, it, there was some frame damage. Mm. Um, I was actually completely unaware that this thing was like dragging behind me. Okay. I'm, I'm told it was so actually- you can't hear it hitting the ground or anything? No, but I'm told there was actually like some smoke oh, coming wow. off of it from where it was dragging on the ground. You could have exploded. Uh, probably not, but I mean, anything's possible. Um, but it, apparently it was, it was pretty exciting, but I was missing all of that. I couldn't see it. Um, so, but as far as I could tell, it didn't affect the handling of the car. Um, okay. but that, that was the result of all of that was, I was an innocent bystander. Right. Yeah. So when that happened, 
do they stop the race or everyone just keeps on going and move around the collision and hope it's cleared up by the next lap? Everyone keeps on going mm -hmm. unless if, there, if there's a car that's disabled, can't move, and um, it depends on where they're stuck. If it's mm -hmm. a, deemed that they're in an unsafe position, right. um, then they need to send a safety truck out to go and get them. Right. Depending on the track and depending on where they are, in some cases, they can send a tow truck out and do it while everybody's still racing. Um, they may fly a flag that tells people they have to slow down while they're close to the truck, uh, but otherwise you race like normal. Like that sounds it, very dangerous for the tow, tow truck operator. It is, and they yeah. get really upset if you do not obey the flags that tell you to slow down right. uh, near it. Um, but it, yes, and, and people have definitely gotten hurt. Um, but other than that, you just if you are racing, you keep going unless you absolutely cannot or unless there right. is like a race official flying a flag telling you you cannot. Okay. Um, so you said you have two cars. I do. That must be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and these are special cars. Mm -hmm. So like what's preventing me from just going to the car store, getting a, a Mustang mm -hmm. and going to the track and be like, I'm here, I want to race. Mostly the officials will stop you. Okay. Um, but the reason that they'll stop you is that would be unsafe. Um, you'd also be not competitive. So what you need to do, um, first of all, to be competitive is you would need, uh, for example, racing tires. You would need racing shocks. You would need um, a racing radiator. Depending on the class, you might need other performance modifications. It, it depends on what the class allows. Mm -hmm. um, but safety-wise, you would also need a full roll cage uh -huh. um, so that if you are hit, so that if you have a, your car rolls over, um, it protects you from the car, like basically collapsing in on you. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also need fire suppression. Um, you need an electrical cutoff switch so that if the car is on fire, they can <laughs> easily turn off the power. Uh -huh. um, those are all sort of things besides just performance modifications that separate street cars and race cars. Okay. Now, once you've made those changes to your car, can you then go take a car on the street and race home? Um, <laughs> I, that would, you could. It would be mm -hmm. inadvisable. Um, most real street like street cars, once you have them modified to the point that you are racing them, yeah. they're not street legal anymore. Because um, you, you strip out everything you don't absolutely need, like you take out all of the interior, mm -hmm. um, you lose things like turn signals. Oh. Which some people don't use anyway, so maybe that's not a big deal, I don't know. <laughs> but um, do, like, do you use no, your turn signal? All the time. You, I, it's on right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're one of the people that's turning left around the planet, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but you don't have anything like that, you don't have airbags, which you have all kinds of other safety stuff, but mm -hmm. it's not stuff that has been rated for use on the street. Okay. Um, so if you got stopped by a cop, they would be very upset with you. Wouldn't the safety stuff you have for racing be above and beyond the safety stuff for just driving down the street? If you are wearing it properly, yes. Uh -huh. um, I, I have actually had some, like two very bad crashes um, that were due to um, somebody dropped oil in front of me and I lost control on that and hit a wall. While you're racing? While racing, yeah. That sounds like something they do in like Spy Hunter or video games. It, it, Oil slick. Ex mm. Except not intentionally because the other car's engine oh. was blowing up. Oh, So they, okay. weren't, they weren't exactly thrilled about it either. <laughs> but um, I was even less thrilled. Um, but I actually in one case hit the wall, and I have the telemetry of this. Um, I hit the wall probably still going 75, 80 miles an hour. Like head on or sideways? Sort of sideways, but uh -huh. mostly head on um, and walked away. Like, and, and, you know, nothing, nothing other than um, feeling very sad about my car and a bruised oh. wallet. Because your, your car is probably 
totaled or? We were actually able to fix it, but, but it was it was not, not looking good. Happy. Okay. Um, now my car, I have an electric car. Mm -hmm. Now can I race that or is it not made for racing? You can, and th there is definitely some uh, kind of motion in the industry to move towards having mm -hmm. electric cars racing. Um, there is actually an electric formula car uh, kind of league where they're, they're sort of uh, trying that concept out. The problem with uh, electric cars is um, fuel. So you have a battery mm -hmm. and you're going to use that battery very rapidly because yes. unlike being on the street, um, you are going to be going full out, full power all the time. Uh -huh. Um, so in a streetcar, like if you have a Tesla, for example, mm -hmm. they're, they're great. I mean, linear acceleration is fantastic. As a race car driver, mm -hmm. I, I would love to have that. Um, the part that's a problem is that it is so hard on the battery that after, I think, like for example, at Laguna Seca, people have tried this, right? Mm -hmm. um, after about two laps, the car goes into limp mode. Oh. Because otherwise it, it's gonna like overheat the battery and set you on fire, which apparently that's is bad. bad. Um, but other than that, they're, they're, they're looking at other um, like, for example, having race cars where you could swap out a battery. Right. Um, so that if you, if you use it very rapidly, that's, that's how you would refuel. Instead of putting gas into a car, you swap the battery. Okay. You're a lady driver. Mm -hmm. That's rare, isn't it? Uh, pretty rare, yeah. A lot of times I'm the only woman at an event. Are, in the whole league, how many women are there? Like, you know, all of them by name because it's so few? Close to it, um, at there was uh, our, the biggest national championship event, which was at Indian Indianapolis Motor Speedway a couple of years ago. There were over a thousand uh, drivers registered, and I counted twelve women. Twelve, that's worse than computer science. It is, yeah. It's uh, it's pretty bad. Uh, SCCA is actually has a, they have a couple of programs that they're trying to encourage uh, mm -hmm. women to come and, and try it out, um, but it's I think going to be slow going. Um, partially because uh, there is a certain amount of <coughs> um, investment, like there's, there's like a high barrier to entry right. with this. Mm -hmm. So it's not like somebody can just be like, oh, hey, that's cool, I'm gonna go try it. You have to go get a race car first and all okay. that kind of stuff. All right, thanks, Nicole. Now, a woodchuck. The woodchuck, also called the groundhog, is one of the larger Canadian rodents. A mature adult may weigh up to 17 pounds. In winter, it depends almost entirely on body fat until April, when new plant food reappears. Like the beaver, the woodchuck's front gnawing teeth grow continuously, except during hibernation. Constant grinding trims them down. The breeding period lasts three months, and from four to five young are usual. In May, at about seven weeks, the young are weaned and cautiously begin to forage on their own. However, they still depend almost entirely on their mother to warn them of impending danger. For more information on the woodchuck, contact the Canadian Wildlife Service in Ottawa. Scott Canaster has lived and worked in Silicon Valley since before there was Wi-Fi or horrible traffic. He has many stories of weird and wonderful things, but mostly weird. Scott tells these stories on stage in a show called Adjacent to Greatness. Tonight, Scott is debuting a new story. The Grateful Dead was the greatest touring band in the history of rock and roll. They played over 2,300 shows in front of more than 25 million people.
Apple Computer, at the time of this story, was the 292nd biggest company in America. Not quite as impressive, but we were scrappy and we believed in ourselves. And so when my boss met a member of the Grateful Dead, he thought, well, let's have them come to Apple and give us a private concert. Here, Scott, you do it. So I called up the Grateful Dead and said, why don't you come and give us a private show and we'll give you a couple of Macintoshes in return. And the person I talked to said, we don't do bar mitzvahs, by which she meant, we don't do your little private shows, we don't do little corporate shows, uh, we don't do one-off shows, we're a serious band. So not to be daunted, I said, okay, what if we send you a couple of Macs and you can use them to write music with, and then you can come and tell us how that went, how that worked out. Now this was back in the dark ages, before Logic, before even GarageBand, when computers weren't really being used by serious bands to make music. But they said yes, they said they would do that. So great, so we sent them a couple of Macs. Now, uh, the way we did it was, was fun. Um, at the time, Apple had a program called Kids Can't Wait, where we sent computers for free to schools. So we called this Rock Stars Can't Wait. Maybe not as much of an investment for the future, but it was a good way to get free computers sent off to the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead received our computers and we figured they were plugging away, making their songs, and, and they would come in and tell us all about it. So we set a date and we got a big auditorium at Apple, probably three or 400 people, seats in the auditorium. And then we started to worry about a mob scene. We started to think about crowd control. Security, what's that? We didn't know anything about that at the time. So we were suddenly concerned that we would be overrun with deadheads. Deadheads are Grateful Dead fans. And we kind of forgot to tell anybody at Apple that we were doing this. So on the last day, the day of the, of the show, of the day of the presentation, I ran around like crazy saying, hey, the Grateful Dead is coming to talk to us. And people said, what are you talking about? But a few people listened to me and we got the little auditorium about half full. And then they showed up and I was gonna be the host. So I went to, to get, I didn't even know who was coming. Was Jerry Garcia gonna show up at Apple? Um, the answer is no, but we did get Bob Weir and John Perry Barlow, very famous uh, member of the band and songwriter. And I didn't really know who they were, so I had one of my buddies who was a deadhead help me out, and he says it's still one of his greatest memories of working at Apple and thanked me for doing that. And I, I'd forgotten I did it, so I said, you're welcome. And, as we showed them around the campus and took them to where the presentation was going to be, they took the stage and they started to tell this wonderful story about how they'd used the Macs to change the way they wrote music. And they were writing a song and then just last night before the presentation, the Mac crashed and they lost all their work. And we were all really sad and we were practically crying because we had cost the world a Grateful Dead song. But then something unexpected happened. Uh, John Perry Barlow, who was speaking, said, you know, actually that's not what happened. We didn't write songs with the Macs. We were playing games with them and they were using them in the accounting department. We couldn't figure out how to write songs with them. I said, why did you tell us this story? You know, why did you first say you were and then say you weren't? And he said, well, when I got to the auditorium, I figured out that it was full of deadheads and deadheads if you lie to them, that's bad karma, especially if you're one of their pantheon, one of their gods. He said, lying to deadheads is like drowning puppies. He didn't want to drown any puppies, so he told us the truth. 
But something else happened to Barlow after this. He became very interested in computers, and he was more than a songwriter. He was really interested in uh, privacy and uh, online rights and security. And after a couple of years, he and a couple of other guys founded the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's the leading organization for internet and online rights and security for the last 30 years, let's say. And John, bless him, put on, uh, he wrote somewhere in public that the Electronic Frontier Foundation would not exist without me sending him computers. But this is completely not true. It would have existed, but that didn't stop me from putting it on my resume. All right, great story, Scott. Thank you. I love hearing your stories about Silicon Valley. I love you hearing my stories. <laughs> All right, um, our next show is going to be April 11th. And uh, so thanks, Scott Canastro, for being on the show. Thanks, Nicole Jacques, for being on the show. And uh, high five, guys. Nice shot.